0: Good morning, good to see all of you. My name is Daniel. I'm the campus pastor of the Artesia campus. So it's always nice uh, to visit the Fullerton campus and get to see a lot of the lovely faces that I haven't seen in a little while. I'll be bringing us the word today, and we are, as you saw, continuing in our following feeling series. Not following your feelings, but following period feeling, meaning in the midst of all the different feelings we experience. How we follow Christ. And I, I, I love the fact that uh, we're going through a series like this because whether you consider yourself a quote unquote feeler, uh, however you label yourself, the reality is we all have feelings. And whatever you do with your feelings, whether you're, you tend to ignore your feelings or suppress your feelings, which I don't recommend, or overvalue your feelings, we are all called to follow Christ in the midst of all of them. And today we are, as you saw in the video, talking about loneliness. Loneliness, and we cry out to God along with the psalmist, turn to me. And uh, today we'll be reading from Psalm 25, verses 11 to 22. You can turn there in your Bibles, we also have it projected for you overhead. Psalm 25, 11 to 22. (coughs) I'll read this for us, and let's give our attention and reverence, for this is God's word, and may God, the Holy Spirit, bless the reading and preaching of his word. For your namesake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. This is God's holy word. Now, as we talk about loneliness today, uh, I do feel it's fitting to start by simply defining loneliness for us. Uh, Just a simple definition. There's a lot of different ways you might do so. And I want to define loneliness as simply... Feelings of pain, feelings of despair due to feeling alone. I think that's a fair definition. Uh, feelings of pain and sadness due to feeling alone. And I'm, I'm being intentional here saying feeling alone rather than being alone uh, because I'm sure we can all agree you can be surrounded by people and still feel alone. You can still have loneliness even if you're not actually alone. And this topic of loneliness is something that has been getting a lot of attention lately. Uh, If you just Google loneliness, which of course I did uh, in preparation for this sermon, you find that there's a lot of discussion. It's loneliness is popping up on a lot of news channels. Uh, And basically, uh, you you see all sorts of stats about a growing number of people, a growing percentage of Americans experiencing persistent loneliness. Uh, We see stats or we see quotes from even a former U.S. Surgeon General calling loneliness a global epidemic. And he's not the only one who's saying things like that. The Prime Minister of Britain earlier this year actually appointed Britain's first Minister of Loneliness. It's a, a government position meant to address this global epidemic, as they call it. Mother Teresa is often quoted as saying, uh, loneliness is the leprosy of the West. But it's not just the West. There's also uh, statistics out there about more and more people in Asia experiencing isolation and this epidemic of loneliness. And it just seems that the world is a lonelier place than ever. And, you know, if you think about that, some of you might be startled. Like, I was surprised about Great Britain's uh, Minister of Loneliness. But if you think about it, it's not terribly surprising, is it, that that loneliness is becoming a bigger and bigger issue, even to the point of some people calling it a global epidemic. When we think about the fact that so many societies now are becoming more and more individualistic, even societies that are, are part of traditionally collectivist cultures more and more become individualistic. Of course, America has been individualistic for a very long time. And of course, we can't go without talking about social media. You know, that which was originally created with the promise of deepening your meaningful relationships and creating new connections. You know, that's what all the social media gurus were first promising when their platforms were originally launched many years ago. And at this point, I think it's aware for all of us. We're all aware here that at best, at best, social media can enhance the meaningful relationships that already exist that you've created outside of social media. And at worst, it can even make you feel lonelier. I'm sure that resonates with many of you, that you, you can be looking at and have all these friends and be connected with so many people, and yet you can be even lonelier. It's something we feel. It's something we all experience. It's something we all feel at different points of our lives. It's something perhaps you're feeling today. And I think to the loneliest times of my own life, they weren't fun. Right? They're not. Nobody likes being lonely. I think back to even college when I experienced my first breakup. I was a mess. I was a straight-up mess, and of course, foolishly, I isolated myself even more. I didn't hang out with anybody. I didn't go to my brothers. I didn't go to my sisters, and I just was a mess and lonely because it was the first time I experienced that sort of condition of breaking up with, you know, your girlfriend. I think back to when I lived in China. I lived in China for a couple years, and it was the first time that this weak SoCal, Southern Californian body experienced a real winter. And I was alone. I lived alone at the time, and it was cold and gloomy. And there were periods where I was extremely lonely, and it was it was very painful. I think back to even my first year of seminary school, not too long ago, uh, where I was this this you know in my uh, young man in my twenties, embarking on this new journey, this daunting journey. And it was lonely, it was lonely. I remember even a pastor by the name of Sinclair Ferguson. He was one of our guest preachers in our chapel service. And in his like, really, with his gravitas and his Scottish accent, he began his message by saying, ministry is a lonely calling. And I just start to cry right away. That's how, that's how lonely I was at that time. And I'm sure some of those stories resonate with you. Maybe, maybe you're like, what's wrong with you? Uh, but the reality is we all experience it and maybe some of you are experiencing it right now. Maybe, maybe you are away from family and friends and you've never felt more alone. Maybe uh, you, re- you recently went through a breakup or perhaps your recent romantic pursuits have not been going so well. Or on a, on, a, on a totally different note, maybe you feel lonely because you feel like you're in a situation, a circumstance that no one else can understand. Maybe because of... A health condition or trouble with work or trouble finding work. And in our psalm today, the psalmist David, he too is experiencing loneliness. He speaks of having trouble and anguish and distress in his heart due to feeling alone. He talks about having so many enemies who hate him. Right, that's an easy way to feel lonely, right? When you feel like a lot of people just hate you. Or even even if they don't hate you, if you just feel like a lot of people don't like you, that's a very lonely feeling. And he's experiencing this here. And of course, although he's not completely disconnected from God in Psalm 25, there is a sense in which there's also a distance from God. Which is why he cries out, Turn to me, God, turn to me. And he says things like, Forgive my sins, pardon my guilt. He, too, is experiencing the loneliness of the heart. And we're going to examine just a little bit more in Psalm 25. What does David do? What does this lonely psalmist do with these feelings? How does he follow the Lord in the midst of his feelings of loneliness? And the first thing I want to note for us is that the lonely psalmist, he waits with integrity. This isn't the first thing he said, but in verse 21 of our text, we, we see him say, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. David is recognizing here that in the midst of his own troubles and the troubles of his heart and feeling alone, that he is more susceptible to stumbling and falling. And that's why he says what he says here in verse 21. He's recognizing when he says, I wait for you, Lord. First, he's recognizing his need for patience. God, I don't like this. I don't like this feeling. I don't like this pain. But I will wait for you. I will wait. And he recognizes when he says, may integrity and uprightness preserve me. He's recognizing that he needs to make good decisions. He needs to be righteous in the midst. It needs to protect him in the midst of this susceptibility to falling and stumbling. And of course, the same is for all of us. I think we all can understand that when we are in feelings like this, when we're feeling alone, when we're feeling like nobody understands me, nobody gets me, nobody's here for me, those are the times where we are most prone to fall. Those are the times where we really need to guard ourselves from looking at the things we shouldn't be looking at, from getting in relationships that are not healthy for us, that are not good for us from making decisions that ultimately will bring us into even greater misery. And I do believe a big part of what it means to wait with integrity is to guard ourselves also from believing the lies of Satan, from believing the lies that he loves to tell us, to guard ourselves from believing the lies that the world loves to preach to us, and of course to guard ourselves from the lies that we are, t- are prone to also tell ourselves. I just wanna give you a few lies. I don't wanna lie to you, but I wanna give you a few lies to guard yourselves from. Lie number one, changing my external circumstances will fix my loneliness. And we actually have the lies also for you on the slides. Changing my external circumstances will fix my loneliness. That's That's a lie, that's a lie. Now, don't get me wrong. Ain't nothing wrong with wanting to change your circumstances. If if you find yourself in a not ideal situation, there's nothing wrong with wanting to change and get out of your circumstances. But please don't believe the lie that all it takes is a mere changing of external circumstances to fix loneliness. Because loneliness is not an external issue. Loneliness is an internal heart issue, spiritual issue, emotional issue. And to merely change my external circumstance won't quite do. You know a common example you might hear is is a single person saying you know I experienced a lot of loneliness which of course is not surprising but to say if I just get married then I won't feel lonely there's a little bit of a lie there isn't there it's this idea that well married people don't feel lonely and ask any married brother or sister here they've experienced loneliness even after being married In fact, I was talking to a a brother at this church who was sharing with me one of the loneliest times of his own life. And it was when he was a a husband and a father. It's not merely our external circumstances. And of course, as a single person, in the midst of your loneliness, please guard yourself because if you get in a relationship that's not good for you, it will only make you lonelier. Believe me, believe me, it will only make you lonelier. Or you might tell yourself, you might tell this lie to yourself and say, well, if I, just, if I just get to know a certain person or hang out with a certain person or hang out with a certain group or be a part of a certain in crowd, then I won't be lonely. And we know, we've already established, you could be surrounded by people, you could be around the, the, the best people, but if you're not addressing the heart issues, the deeper issues, then loneliness will still remain. Lie number one, changing my external circumstances will fix my loneliness. Here's another lie for you. We're going to spend a little more time on this second one. The second lie for you that you need to guard yourselves from, satisfying physical desires will fix my loneliness. Satisfying physical desires will fix my loneliness. There's a pastor by the name of Sam Albury who gave a great talk at a previous Gospel Coalition conference Uh, And I'm sure you could find it online or something similar, Sam Albury. And, And he makes this very astute observation that in our culture today, we have collapsed this idea of intimacy with sex. We have reduced this great, grand, wonderful need we have for intimacy, and we have reduced that in our culture to mere one sliver of that, which is physical Intimacy. Sexual intimacy. And perhaps you're like, well, I'm not so crude. I don't think that. I don't believe that lie. Well, let's just replace physical desires with romantic desires, right? That our culture has turned intimacy to something that is merely romantic or sexual. And the way we, ask, the way we find out if that, if that pervasive lie has affected us is just, let me ask you. Let me ask you. When I say the word intimacy, intimacy, what are you... What comes to your mind first? What are you prone to think of? Is it the romantic, the sexual? Is it merely that? And, the, and Pastor Samuel, his point is that the Bible speaks of intimacy with so much more depth and breadth than merely the physical or the romantic. Throughout the Bible, we see great examples of, of real deep intimacy. That was neither physical nor sexual nor romantic. We see the Apostle Paul who was single and also didn't have kids, and yet he experiences this deep community, this deep joy of loving his brothers and sisters. To the point where he says in his letters, I long for you, I long for you. And I think to our culturally biased minds, even that sounds almost romantic. I long for you. And yet, that is his joy in his brothers and sisters. He even goes as far as to say, I love you guys so much. You are my crown. You are my joy and crown. And this is a deep intimacy that is neither physical nor romantic. Think about our own psalmist, David. We read in 1 Samuel a very deep, deep intimacy he shared. A deep friendship he shared with Jonathan. It's a beautiful picture where uh, they love each other so much. The the Bible even says, they loved each other with a love that was greater than the love of a woman. They even say to each other things like, I love you like my own soul. Like, talk about soulmates, right? And this is a friendship where they have intimacy. This is a friendship where they know and understand each other. They get each other. They, They are willing to open up to each other. And here's the thing. I've heard things said like, uh, you know, uh, more, more lightly, more mildly, you know, that's the first bromance of the Bible, the first bromance. And even that word bromance still has romance in it. And I've heard even further, even more crazy, mind-boggling things. I've, I've seen people and heard people and read people who think, see, D- David and Jonathan were gay and they really believe that. That, that's, what they're, that's what they're claiming. See, and they insert that into the Bible. See, the Bible has a gay relationship here, David and Jonathan. And that's crazy to me, but it also is very telling. They, there are people who see this deep intimacy and deep friendship, and they can't help but think that this is romantic or even sexual. And it's, it's evidence that we've bought into that lie. That, there, that, that that's all intimacy is. We've reduced it just to that. And the reality is, the Bible tells us it's so much more. It's so much more. Yes, of course. For husbands and wives, sexual intimacy is a part of your intimacy. Absolutely. It's an important part. It deepens your intimacy. Please do it. But ask any married couple. But actually, don't ask them. They'll be probably uncomfortable. (laughs) Ask them. If you asked them, they would tell you, if I'm not working on all the other deeper, more internal parts of intimacy, it's really hard to have physical intimacy. It's very difficult. It's, it's borderline impossible. It doesn't happen, right? It's only a part, it's, and it deepens it, and it, it helps to cultivate it, but it, it doesn't create the intimacy in and of itself, and that's the lie, right? Just, just all, I, all I need to do is satisfy those sexual desires, those physical desires, but I will tell you right now, being sexually active will never get rid of your loneliness in and of itself. In fact, without real and legitimate intimacy, sexual activity will only heighten your loneliness. It will only make you more lonely. We, I think back to John 4, John chapter 4, where Jesus is interacting with this Samaritan woman at the well. And here, uh, John is, I mean, Jesus is talking to this woman, talking about, uh, hey, can you help me draw some water? I'm, I'm a little bit thirsty. And then he talks about, uh, he ends up talking about this living water, this greater living water that if you drink that, you'll never be thirsty again. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, by the way, I know you, have five hus- uh, you had five husbands and I know that you live with a guy now and that's not your husband either. And it's like, whoa, Jesus, why, why are you going there? This is talking about drinking water here and all of a sudden you're talking about all her, all her past deeds and the things that probably, that most likely made her an outcast in her own society. And Jesus here is not being mean or judgy, but he is loving on this woman and, and getting at her heart. And there is this great connection between when he's talking about living water and all her past relationships. And it is, depending on how old you are or your personality, it's either incredibly hilarious or incredibly unfortunate that today our, our slang term for sexual desire is thirst. Um, and, and basically he's basically saying it didn't work, did it? Satisfying your you know, physical, sexual thirst didn't fix your life thirst, did it? He's saying there's still something missing, isn't there? You've had five different husbands five different relationships and you even have one now and, and there's still something missing, isn't there? Jesus is saying to this woman, don't believe the lie. Don't believe that lie. And for you and us, for you and me, don't believe that lie. There's something much deeper when it comes to our need for intimacy that addresses our loneliness. The last lie I have for you, this one will be quick. The first one was uh, changing my external circumstances will fix my loneliness. The second one was satisfying my physical desires or even my romantic desires will fix my loneliness. Those are lies. Here's the last one: I'm not normal because I feel lonely. I'm not normal. Well, I should be stronger than this. Or I, I'm a Christian. I should never feel lonely. Uh, please don't believe that. It is incredibly normal to believe. Uh, it is incredibly normal to experience loneliness because we all experience it. And I would rather. I, I want to suggest to you, in those moments when you feel that pain, and I, and I recognize perhaps some of you, many of you, are feeling that now. Even in those moments when you feel the pangs of loneliness, rather than thinking that something strange is happening to you, or what's wrong with me, I'm not normal. Think of it like this: think of loneliness as a warning light, like a warning light in your car. Think of loneliness as your heart's way of telling you. I need to cultivate intimacy, real intimacy, not the lie intimacy, but real intimacy. I need to deepen my personal relationships and, and I need to not believe the lies. It's not just about external circumstances. It's not just about physical desires. It's about real intimacy. And that leads us to our second point. The first point was the lonely psalmist waits with integrity and the way in which he does so is by not believing the lies of saying the world, in our own hearts. But secondly, The lonely psalmist finds refuge in the friendship of God. The lonely psalmist finds refuge in the friendship of God. Throughout this Psalm, Psalm 25, he says to God things like, Turn to me, I find I take refuge in you. I look to you. And in verse 14, we we hear him say, perhaps the most one of the most important verses in this psalm, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. And within this important verse, I think there's an important phrase: the friendship of the Lord the friendship of the Lord. I love that phrase. We can never truly address our loneliness ever if we aren't addressing our need for the friendship of the Lord. And of course, this isn't just some cheesy phrase, right? Like you, some of us may have grown up singing this cheesy song, and I'm sorry if you like it. Like, Jesus, you are my best friend, right? And it's like, uh, whatever, right? Uh, or like, Jesus is my homeboy, that, the t-shirt that, that was popular for a little while. This isn't some cheesy, friend, uh, cheesy phrase like this. This is a very deep under, uh, idea of the friendship of the Lord. And basically, I want to ask you, guess what the number one uh, Old Testament Hebrew dictionary, guess how that dictionary defines this uh, word friendship, P- particularly in this verse, Psalm 25, verse 14. Guess how this Old Testament Hebrew, the number one that all the scholars and seminary students look at, guess how that, how that dictionary defines friendship here intimacy. You look it up, it says intimacy. The intimacy of the Lord. That's why if you're, if you're old school and you like reading the King James version, you look up this verse, it says the secret of the Lord. And it's this idea that God is the one that you could confide in. He's, he's the one that tells you his secrets and you tell him your secrets. That's a real friend, right? That's real intimacy, right? If you tell me that you have a best friend that you never tell your secrets to, he's not, he or she is really not your best friend. This is the secret of the Lord, the friendship of the Lord. God is my confidence. I bear my soul to God. In fact, Psalm 25, we didn't read it, but the very first verse of Psalm 25 says, To you, O Lord, to you, o Lord I lift up my soul. Right, David and Jonathan, yes, they loved each other like their own souls. They, they gave their souls to each other, but they couldn't do that if they didn't first lift up their souls to the Lord. I've said this before and it's, it bears repeating. God cannot be your friend of a friend. God cannot be your acquaintance. God cannot be that one guy where like when you're a group, it's all cool and everyone's having a great time, but then everyone slowly starts leaving and then you're the only ones left, you and that one guy, and then now all of a sudden it's awkward, you don't know what to say, you feel weird, you just want to leave too. God cannot be that friend of a friend. God has to be the one that you can be alone with. The German theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he once wrote this in his book Life Together. I have it up there for you on, on the slide. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. What's Bonhoeffer saying here? Let him who cannot, who cannot be alone beware of community. It's this idea that community can be dangerous if you don't know God personally. It can be dangerous because if you're always around Christians, you're always hanging out with them, with all these people who love the Lord, you can fool yourself into thinking you know the Lord and love the Lord. But the real proof is can you be alone with God? Do you find refuge in the friendship of God? Do you seek intimacy with him? Can you confide in him? Can you bear your soul to him and lift up your soul to him when no one's around? That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 6, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. What you do with God behind closed doors is supremely more important than what you do with God in front of all these people. It is supremely, significantly, so importantly, more important, behind closed doors, in secret. So what's the practical application? It's easy, right? Let's just put our phones down for a moment. Let's find a quiet place, a quiet time. And spend some time with the Lord and his word and prayer and praise. And here's the promise for you. James 4.8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a promise. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You can echo with David, turn to me, O Lord, and you can know he will turn to you. Sure, it might take a little patience. It might take some warming up, especially if you haven't been finding refuge in the friendship of the Lord recently. It might take some warming up, but believe the promises of Scripture. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. He will turn to you. That's a promise. You know, in our passage, David as he says these things, as he speaks of the friendship of God, he recognizes this is a precious thing. Once again, this is not some cheesy, lighthearted thing. This is a precious, deep reality that comes at a very high cost. If you look at that verse, it says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And it's this idea that Well, how is it possible that I could draw near to God? How is it possible that I could even call God my friend? That's a big deal. And if I fear him, if I recognize him for who he is, if I'm honest with myself and I recognize God is so big and I'm so small, God is so holy and I am sinful, how do I draw near to him? This is a big deal. How do I have his friendship? This is a big deal. And that's why David says over and over, pardon my guilt, forgive my sin. He sees that this is a big deal. And he mentions the covenant with, of God with his people. He says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes known to them his covenant. For Christian people, when you hear the word covenant, I think for many of us, it's not all of us. We can't help but think of the image from Genesis 15. A covenant in the ancient Near East was like a contract that that starts a relationship, oftentimes between a servant and a Lord. And oftentimes what would happen is there'd be a covenant ratification ceremony that kicks it all off. And the servant would often get get animals and cut them in half. Kind of a gruesome act of cutting these animals in half and spreading them out in two rows. And then the servant would typically walk between those two cut-up animals, those two halves of the cut-up animals. And basically what he would be doing is saying to the Lord, to his Lord, to his master, to his boss, whatever, to his employer, he would say, May this happen to me if I don't keep up my end of the bargain. That's how the covenant, the relationship started. And we see this beautiful picture in Genesis 15, where we see the animals are, yes, they're cut into, and and the ancient Near Eastern audience goes, okay, I know what's happening here. All right, it's a covenant ratification. But instead of the servant walking through, the Lord symbolically, he himself would be the one that walks between those cut up animals. Basically, the Lord saying, I'm going to put myself on the line for the sake of having this relationship with you. And of course, we know so many generations later that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God himself would be split in two on that cross for the sake of this relationship with you, for the sake of this friendship with you. And as we're talking about loneliness, we can't help but recognize that the cross was truly the loneliest place in all of the universe, of all time, of all history, and i'm not saying it was lonely cuz Jesus' disciples left him or his you know everyone uh, abandoned him in his moment of need and his in his lowest point but the reason the cross was the loneliest place in the universe is because here was jesus the eternal son who existed before time began and before time began he experienced perfect fellowship and union with the father and the holy spirit that's actually the beauty of the trinity the trinity is never lonely And yet here on the cross, Jesus for the first time would experience truly what it means to be alone. Not because the people left him, but because God would turn away, the Father and the Spirit. And he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he would truly be alone on that cross. Why? Jesus would be lonely and alone on that cross so that all who are in him would never be truly alone again. Jesus would face the wrath of God on that cross so that you and I can have the intimacy of God, the friendship of God. That is the love of Jesus. He would trade intimacy for loneliness. He would cry out, why have you forsaken me? So that you could hear, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. It's a beautiful, costly, important, precious thing to have the friendship of God. And it was so costly. You and I can never achieve it. We can never buy it. We can never work for it. We can never accomplish it with our goodness and our righteousness and our likability. It would be Christ alone with the precious infinite worth of his blood shed on the cross who would purchase that friendship and intimacy for you. And here's the thing. If you don't have the intimacy of God, if you don't have the friendship of God, you will crush your friends. You will crush your spouse. And you will allow them to crush you in the midst of loneliness. If you don't have the intimacy of God, you will be impatient with other people. Because you're going to want more intimacy from them and more quickly, more more fast than they can actually give. And it's going to hinder your intimacy with them. But all who experience the friendship of God, now they can freely love and cultivate real intimacy with other people in a way that's no longer self-serving, in a way that's no longer crushing. And this leads us to our last point. First, the lonely psalmist waits with integrity. Secondly, the lonely psalmist finds refuge in the friendship of God. But lastly, the lonely psalmist looks outward to community. In the last verse of, of our psalm, Psalm 25, It's a little bit, it it stands out quite a bit. Uh, It's a little different than the rest of the psalm. In verse 22, David says, Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. And it's interesting because throughout this whole psalm, David is talking about himself, just about himself, basically saying, Turn to me, help me. Uh, I'm in this situation. And that's natural, right? When you're in pain, you're going to be like, Help me, God, help me, help me. And he does that, but as he does that for 21 verses, by the end of it, as he's turned to the Lord and asked the Lord to turn to him, by verse 22, he changes his tune a little bit. He's able to say, redeem Israel, help. I've asked for help for me, now help Israel out of all his troubles, out of all Israel's troubles. And the idea is this, no matter who you are, whether you're single or married, extroverted or introverted, rich or poor, you are called to look toward your Israel. You can do something about loneliness when you first cultivate intimacy with the Lord and enjoy the friendship he offers. And then you can cultivate intimacy with your neighbor. We were designed to do that. You know, I gave you a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, saying beware of community, beware of community to those who don't know how to be alone with God. But that quote doesn't end there. Uh, I have it written up here for you. I won't read you the whole quote for the sake of time, but basically he says this. First he started with beware of community, but the reverse is also true. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. And I think you could read that. It's a lot of words I know. Uh, But the idea is this. We need both, right? We need to be able to be alone with God. If you can't be alone with God, if you can't be with God behind closed doors in the secret place, then that's a problem. But if you can be alone with God, if you have intimacy with the Lord, if you have, if you're finding refuge in the friendship of the Lord, then you'll never really be alone. You'll always have community. You'll always have family. You'll always have brothers and sisters and, and fathers and mothers. Because you are not alone, we need both. We recognize it's not our father, or it's not my father in heaven that I pray to, but it's our father that we pray to. We are called to love and care about Israel. Because we have the friendship of God. Let me let me draw your attention to just one more passage. It's it's such a practical, just powerful passage, especially as we address things like loneliness. But for if you feel like, you know what, I'm not lonely right now, still you need to look at this passage. Romans chapter 12, verses 10 to 13. Romans 12, 10 to 13. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. I know that's that's a lot and I read it fast, but let that sink in just a little bit. Just four verses with so much power to combat loneliness. So much power And let me give you the flip side. If you like being lonely and you want to be lonely, you're not lonely now, but you want to be lonely and you want to be more miserable, do the opposite, right? You know, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. How about this? Just, if you want to be lonely, just try to keep outdoing one another. Not in showing honor, but just outdoing one another. Right? Outdoing one another in honoring yourself and honoring your own family and your own tribe, which is ultimately just yourself. If you want to be lonely, yeah, just don't do anything. Be slothful. Just be inactive. Right, don't try to serve anybody. Don't try to serve the Lord. If you want to be lonely, yeah, don't be patient. Definitely don't pray. If you want to be lonely, just stop praying and you'll be lonely. I guarantee it. And how about I love that last verse. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. That word seek there, seeking to show hospitality, that's a very strong verb. Uh, that word can also be translated as pursue, to chase after. Like it's not just like a passive, oh, uh, wait till somebody shows you hospitality, but it's this idea of pursue it, chase after it. And I want to be as hospitable to my brothers and sisters and my neighbors as possible. It's a wonderful, wonderful remedy to combat loneliness. And here's the thing, right? This is Romans 12. This comes way later in the book of Romans. And the, where does the energy and the power and the motivation to do any of this come from? It comes from Romans 1 through 11. When Paul establishes you, there is now no condemnation in Christ. You have now been reconciled to God because of Jesus Christ. Basically, what's Paul saying? You now have the friendship of the Lord. Your sins have now been forgiven. Your guilt has now been pardoned because of what Christ has done. And now you have the energy and motivation and power to do this and to fight loneliness. Priscilla told me that the women's retreat was going so well, has got, went so well. And I'm so glad to hear it. I'm not surprised one bit uh, that it was an awesome time. I'm so grateful. Right? It's the first women's retreat we've had in what a blessing. And if you have FOMO right now as I talk about it, just go to the next one whenever that But uh, so grateful to hear about that. And uh, it reminded me about this story that I read as I was reading about loneliness. There's an article by Melissa Kruger called Loneliness, Friendship, and the Goodness of God. And Melissa Kruger, she's this uh, author who wrote a book on um, fall, walking with the Lord in the midst of motherhood. And she, in this article, Loneliness, Friendship, and the Goodness of God, she talks about this relationship uh, that she cultivated, real intimacy, real friendship that she cultivated with when she was a mother and experiencing loneliness in that season of her life. And then she uh, became friends with this other woman who happened to be single, and they really supported each other and strengthened each other in their different seasons. I'm just going to read a couple sentences from that article. Melissa says, the fact that we were in different seasons of life didn't detract from our friendship. It actually added to it. Angela, the the friend, didn't shy away from me because I was in a different season. And I didn't separate myself from her because she wasn't a mom. What was lacking in my season, she gave generously. What was lacking in her season, she shared from mine. And this is just a couple sentences. This is a great, a great picture of the church being the church and real intimacy happening. Loneliness being combated in the deepest of ways because they have the friendship of God and they're, they're bearing their souls to God and therefore they can do that with each other despite their different seasons. We are all called... To, our, to look outward to our Israel. Whatever your Israel is, whatever your community is, whatever your neighbor is, whatever your brother is, whoever your brother, sister is, we're all called to that because we've been loved like this. We've been loved with the love of God who, who would go as far as to even call us his friends. And when you've been loved like this, you can love like this. As I close, I just want to share something that I, I, I love so much about our church. And uh, I'm sure this is something you love too. And in the past 10 years, it's been so remarkable. Uh, just all the different stories of grace. All the different testimonies. I'm sure you all agree, agree with me. I'm sure there's nobody who's like, no, I don't like stories of grace. I don't like hearing them. I'm not encouraged. I'm not strengthened by them. I'm not blessed by them. No, that, I'm sure there's nobody in here who feels that way. We love these stories of grace. And I, and I think back to even like 10 years ago when some of our first uh, really groundbreaking stories of grace were shared. People experiencing all sorts of different struggles and, and things that maybe most people wouldn't even think you should be talking about at church But they were sharing them courageously, freely, but most importantly, they were sharing them in light of what God did as he broke through in the midst of these different circumstances, in the midst of broken relationships and divorce and abuse and feeling abandoned by the people who are supposed to love you the most and how God broke through, how God blessed and strengthened and brought out. And in in all those stories, community is such a big part of that. It's the brothers, it's the sisters that surrounded them, and that's how God surrounded them. And one of the byproducts of these stories of grace that I am so grateful for is that when you hear these, these brave brothers and sisters share uh, just their lives and open up to a large group of people, one of the great byproducts, the, the main uh, 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 outcome is that the gospel gets preached but one of the great secondary outcomes is that it's a great reminder for all of us that you are not alone so often we love to listen to satan's lies in our own lives that in, in in our different circumstances in our loneliness that that we are so alone And it's in these stories of grace when people actually bear their souls that you recognize, oh my gosh, I am not alone. I thought I was the only one who felt like this. I thought I was the only one who experienced something like this. But I am not alone. Church, you are not alone. You are never alone. If you have the friendship of God, truly, you will never be alone because you have Him. But it doesn't stop there. You will never be alone because you have the church, you have your brothers, you have your sisters. And that was purchased by the precious blood of Christ for you. Would you cherish that? Would you, would you cry out with me and with David to the Lord? Turn to me, God. Turn to me. Draw near to me. And as you cry out to him, would you look to your Israel that's around you even now? That, that is here for you even now. Praise God that we were bought with the precious blood of Christ. And that means you never need to be alone again. Let's pray. As we begin our prayer, I do want to just read for you once again from Psalm 25. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll read a a shorter part of it. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. O oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O oh God, out of all his troubles. Would you spend a few moments and make this your prayer in your own way? Let's, let's lift, lift up our souls to the Lord at this time.